Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. ES Audio. The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio. Well, it's been wall-to-wall rugby this weekend with the European Champions Cup back in action, plus round two of the women's Six Nations taking place. I'm very pleased to say that the brilliant Sarah Elgin is back here helping guide us through a feast of rugby that was on display over the last few days. Sarah, how are you? I'm good, thanks, Lawrence. I love your introductions. I don't think anybody else calls me brilliant, so I'm more than happy to come on the podcast just for that introduction. Um, yeah, it's been a busy weekend, isn't it, of European rugby? Um, but it's not just two on the pod, of course. The Evening Standard rugby correspondent, Nick Perwall, he's also here. Hi, Nick. Hello, how are you doing? Good, thanks. Really good. So what have you gents been up to then since I last saw you? Lots of, of watching rugby, I'm presuming. Um, anything else to report, Lawrence? You've been out on that fun bus with Jason Leonard again? Yes, I did. Uh, well, it's all for charity. And in that actual fact this one was very poignant because uh the late and great tom smith uh who sadly passed at the age of 44 we raised some money for him uh, uh two auction dinners uh we raised uh quite a bit of money but obviously involved a few auction prizes so jason and i did the second of the two fun bus trips which is um effectively a pub crawl with jason and myself <laughs> Uh, quite why someone would pay enormous amounts of money to go on a pub crawl with the two of us I have no idea oh I but... don't know I've been on a few nights out with you Loris <laughs> and Alio. you know how to have a good night out but it's, uh, <laughs> it did finish in uh, with a curry in the Sun Inn which is Jason's local in Richmond so yes uh, so uh, here's thinking of you Tom Smith and uh, just set me up for a wonderful weekend of rugby because that's exactly what you need two days before uh, you're about to go to work is uh, a night out with Jason but uh, yeah. no Saturday I was in the studio with Austin Healy and Martin Bayfield it's like the little and large Show. Yeah, I was a bit annoyed with that actually because I was in the studio before you and I was there with Donica O'Callaghan and uh, Andy Good and they put us up in a tiny studio at the top just because you guys, I presume, had the big one. I know you need the space, obviously. I don't. But... I don't think so. I mean, we were upgraded <laughs> to, uh, to. I think you were in economy. We were in premium. <laughs> econ- we were in premium economy, and the football show, uh, which is, I'm sure, sh- I'm sure, soon to be axed anyway. Uh, is uh, they were in upper class, so there you go. They but, were. Uh, they had Aust- the big Austin season. was in feisty mood as usual. He wanted to go in and pick a fight with all the footballers, and he reckons he would take them all on. And if there was any left, then they bring in Lol to finish them off. So there you go. <laughs> I'd pay to see that actually in a boxing <laughs> ring. Obviously, that would be quite entertaining. Um, Nick, how about you? Any bus journeys to the pub for you this week? <laughs> Not so much. No, I saw. I saw that. I felt for Lawrence a little bit after his Six Nations dinner the week before as well. So it's fairly hefty old uh, turnaround on that but uh, no yeah most mostly work but it's just a bit of upkeep on the house the the renovation job keeps on coming so uh, it keeps me busy and learning new skills all the time which nice. is a uh, code for not spending money doing it myself <laughs> yeah what skill have you learned this week that's a very good question um, <laughs> well, 
we have a, a bulging gable wall in the, okay. in the attic. Yeah, so okay. I'm working out how to uh, fix that. So you right, you've already is... lost me now, Nick. On a gable wall, I have no idea what you're talking about. Outsource, Nick. Outsource it to someone who knows what they're doing. I mean, that's <laughs> the well, my wife outsourced it to me, you see. So, so <laughs> Google and YouTube are my friends at the minute. So we're, we're, we're making progress. Love but that. Slowly. <laughs> so, well, progress is progress, isn't it? No matter how slow. Right. Okay. Let's have a look through the weekend's results then, shall we? So the Women's Six Nations saw so wins for France, Wales and England. Uh, they now take a week off, of course, before the next round of the tournament. And just what a win that was for England. I mean, I think at the start of the competition, we were wondering how they'd bounce back from the World Cup final defeat. But they have done that and some. Yeah, they look really, really strong, don't they? Uh, you know, a few changes to the team, a few personnel obviously retiring post that wonderful World Cup in New Zealand, but they've started as good as ever, really, emphatically beating uh, Italy. I mean, 68-5, you think that Italy were, well, they were trampled all over, but actually, defensively, Italy put up a real battle. England worked hard for those tries, though it doesn't sound like it, and you'd think that there's there's no hope for Italy, but actually, they played well. It was just that England played so, so well. Talk about the likes of Abby Dow, who scored four tries, two for, for Marley Pack, who just seems to go from strength to strength. I love Marley Packer, by the way. I have a bit of a girl crush on Marley Packer. I love watching her play and I love like talking to, to her, like her interviews, her post-match interviews are brilliant. She's such a great character for the game, isn't she? Yeah, she really is. And, uh, and you know, listen, uh, hopefully this tournament really propels women's rugby, international women's rugby, even further into the spotlight because it, it feels like it's a real pivotal moment. Wales doing very, very well indeed. Um, Sarah, uh, without over-egging it, there's not been a huge lot of good news stories coming out of Wales uh, recently, with the Welsh Rugby Union anyway. So the fact that their women's team are doing well, I think they beat Scotland 34-22. So yeah, it's exciting times. Yeah, I mean, I think it's 21 consecutive Six Nations wins for England for the Red Roses, which is uh, just amazing, isn't it? And just shows their, their dominance. But I interviewed uh, Amy Cocaine last week and she was talking about it being a sort of regeneration and, and something they've done before after a World Cup. And I think that's one of the most impressive things about how they go about their business. It's that they, they come out of a World Cup and they already have a plan for the next cycle, don't they? They, they freshen things up, they bring new players in, they cap new players. They're not afraid to do that. But all the while, they continue to turn out the performances and the wins. And, and it's just hugely impressive, isn't it? And it says so much about the environment they're building. It's amazing. Absolutely. They're like a machine, aren't they? A very well-oiled machine. Okay, meanwhile, while the, the Women's Six Nations are going ahead, European rugby was in full swing with uh, the Heineken Cup round of 16. Two South African teams are progressing to the quarterfinals with a Sharks victory over Munster and the Stormers beating Harlequins, of course. Uh, and they, there was so much negativity surrounding the South Africans joining this competition, guys, but they have really added to the Heineken Cup this year, haven't they? Yeah, I would say that they have. The South Africans bring their own brand of rugby, their own style of rugby. I think it's been excellent to watch. I'd be interested to hear from some of the players and coaches as to what the challenges have been like around the travel experience. It's obviously good in one sense, um, cathartically, to get the players out of the bubble of playing in the same tournaments and to, you know, for them to get some vitamin D over in South Africa and to just experience a, a new journey, a new, a new different rugby week. On the negative side, we don't quite know you know, how difficult it is for a, a team to travel to South Africa and then have to turn things around very, very quickly. And 
and play. And, you know, we talk about player welfare. You've got flying to South Africa, then you've got to come back and, and regenerate your squad in a week. I think it does put a lot of challenge on those players. But uh, yeah, I think for two of them to be in the eight remaining teams tells you everything about the strength of, of adding those teams to the competition. Absolutely. To lose, they had a comfortable win, though, over the third South African franchise, the Bulls knocking them out of the competition and joining the other French team, La Rochelle, going through after the current champions beat Gloucester by the skin of their teeth. Um, Nick, I don't think I've seen a performance like that from a Gloucester side in Europe for a very, very, very long time. Absolutely, yeah. I think it sort of um, brought you back to the season when they finished third and they, they got into the playoffs and, and that's when Brian Ruprath and Carl Hogg were in charge. So that's a while ago now. It was a very sort of old-fashioned in, in all the best of ways. Classic Gloucester performance, wasn't it? Everything but the result and, and obviously a few decisions which they'll ruin be frustrated about. I suppose that's sort of potentially the pitfall of playing away in France, isn't it? But they can gain a lot of comfort from that, I guess, even in defeat, because it's really kind of set a template for them moving forward. Yeah, there were a few chats surrounding certain calls during the game, Lawrence, <laughs> we put it that way. Um, what, what do you make of, of some of them? Dara, can you just say La Rochelle again for me, please? La Rochelle, why? I, said, I mean, you know, it's not is, as good as my Bordeaux, is it? That, it's not as good as Bordeaux, but I think that's the most that's the most Brilliant. beautiful pronunciation of La Rochelle I've ever heard. But, uh, <laughs> oh, I'm sure I'll, I'll, La Rochelle, I can't even do it justice, really. There we go. Um, now, listen, it was an amazing game. As it transpired, all eight of the last 16 matches went the way of the home team. And I think that is statistically is, you know, just tells you how difficult it is to win away from home in a knockout match. And dare I say that the crowd are a factor. Opponents that you're playing against when they're playing at home are much more comfortable sleeping in their own beds, as you'd expect. And also the referees are somewhat influenced, whether they say they are or not, statistically by the crowd and all those other factors. And there were some tough decisions that Gloucester had to uh, to swallow really at the end. George Skivington, yet another DOR interview where he's obviously immensely proud of his team, which he, he had to be. I mean, I think it would have probably been one of the most famous ever wins away from home in any competition had they won. La Rochelle, they were a juggernaut. They were bulldozing every team. They're second or whatever they are in the in the top 14. And Gloucester is struggling at the moment. They've got injuries all over the shop. They're Billy 12 trees at 10. And Ruin Ackerman, like Ruin Ackerman's injury. I mean, we have to maybe mention that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we do have to mention that he was um, he was stretched off. Uh, looks like a very serious injury. We don't quite know. I don't think the extent of it, but it looks like he'll be on the sidelines for quite some time. It wasn't a neck roll. It was a crocodile roll. Where do you stand on, on this? Well, I, I, I've yet to have a look at the law book or have it clarifies as, as to whether a, a crocodile roll is a straight red card, because there, there was a lot of people that were suggesting that it should have been, including myself, Um with a neck roll, when, when you go to clear out and you get it wrong and you slide up the player's body and you end up with your hands around his neck and there can be some quite passive neck rolls. When you actually grab a player around the, around the, the upper torso and then you roll him over and you use your own body weight to affect that challenge and that tackle, which is exactly what happened with Ron Ackerman, and then you fall on that player's knee, same challenge that, that Negri did on, on Jack Willis and he was out for quite some time. So I guess it needs to be clarified is what I'm saying. World Rugby needs to outlaw the crocodile roll in the sense that when it, when it's performed like that, it's a straight red card. And the referee, uh, Mike Adamson from Scotland, said that there was foul play. And I can't quite understand if it's foul play and he saw the outcome of what happened, then it, why it wasn't a red card. It tarnished what was a, 
a brilliant game of rugby. As disappointing will be the, the knock-on that happened just before the try that La Rochelle scored. I can't quite understand why that wasn't given. Maybe the referee and his officials didn't have the car started at, the, at that moment in time so they could get out of the stadium. I'm not quite sure, but uh, I, I would be very disappointed. It, look, it looked like a blatant knock-on to me. And, uh, you know, I thought Gloucester deserved the win. But La Rochelle... The holders, Ronan O'Gara, his legacy as a coach in this tournament continues. It's amazing, really. I love watching Ronan like pitch size during a match. I love when the camera zooms into him. Um, can I ask you really quickly, Lawrence, after a game like that for the Gloucester boys, how do you feel? I'm just wondering what their emotions were after that game because they were so good, but they lost. Nobody was expecting them to go there with a performance like that. And they pulled it out of the bag and they came just a little bit short. So how, how do you, I don't know, how do you? compartmentalize that performance? I think the initial emotions will be um, devastation, really. They'll be desperately disappointed. You know, I talk a lot on this pod about there only ever being agony or ecstasy. You're either desperately depressed and disappointed or you're on cloud nine. And so they will they will be in the change room uh, even more disappointed and, and saddened by the fact that one of their leading players has picked up what looks like a very serious injury and also it's not just the losing it's the manner of the of the defeats you know they had the opportunity to win yeah. they were four points in front and the last minute of the game to, to have that taken away from you is is cruel but when they have had a couple of pasties as they will have done after the game because they deserved it and a few beers they'll reflect and they'll ask themselves this question if they can perform like that in a one-off knockout game, you can't be expected over the course of a 10-month season to hit those levels every single week. I get that. But they will ask themselves the question, why can they not perform like that a little bit more often? And that's the challenge that George Skivington has with his players because they lost three consecutive premiership games coming into that. And if they play anywhere near that level, they will have every chance of performing. So now they've set the standard. They've got a lot to live up to is what I'd say. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Okay, so um, Leinster, Sawfolster um, advances in Dublin, another results. And then um, there are three premiership teams who all make the last eight with Leicester defeating Edinburgh, Saracens seeing off Ospreys and Exeter winning in that nail-biting dramatic finish against Montpellier at uh, Sandy Park. Some great games of rugby this weekend, Lawrence. What was the main highlight for you? 
Well, Leinster, we expected them to progress, I think, it's fair to say. Um, there's probably still a little bit of alcohol poisoning in the um, in, in the system for, <laughs> for some of those Irish players, and understandably so. You know, they, they looked at not quite at their best, but in, in fairness to both teams, the, the conditions were not good. You know, it was pouring with rain. So I think we expected Leinster to win, um, so I wouldn't see that as a highlight for me. I think they probably expected to win. Toulouse were their sort of very, very strong. Jack Willis, again, you know, to the four, I think he played very, very well indeed. Was had a hand in in a couple of those tries, but probably for me, the Exeter game. We, we love a, a bit of drama, don't we? Really, and and, uh, <laughs> and up until that point, we hadn't had much drama. The La Rochelle Gloucester game was probably the highlight of the round up to that point, and then suddenly we saw this game where Montpellier were, were full value. Um, had to deal with a red card, which was, again, questionable. It was a shoulder contact on head from um, Zach Mercer. I think it, a, a yellow probably would have been sufficient, but th- these are the decisions. And then it went to extra time, and we, we don't often get that. And then uh, Montpellier scored in extra time, and you thought maybe we, we'd have you know one away win. But the drama, I don't know if you saw Rob Baxter's face or, or the coaching staff, but they must have had heart in mouths as Craig Yandel went over in well, I think the last play of the game wasn't it more or less? It was, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then the obviously on the on the on the try countback. So yeah, I mean that for me was probably the moments of the round. I was at Sandy Park. I didn't see Rob Baxter's face, but I was I was with uh, Stuart Hogg. Oh my gosh, right. he is literally one of the best worst spectators I think I've ever <laughs> watched rugby with. I have watched a bit of rugby with him actually, but he was honestly. I wish we'd had a camera on his expressions throughout that. I was going to say eighty, but obviously with extra time as well. Um, but Nick, I think what we did see with Exeter, you know, we can't like we have to mention uh, Montpellier and the heart and the resilience that they showed um, to take it to extra time. But I feel like maybe, like we saw the old Exeter on Sunday, we saw that resilience from them as well, which is something we haven't always seen this season. Absolutely right. And I think um, whatever happens next for them, I think coming out of that match on the right side, from their point of view, is massive for the club and for the supporters and everyone connected to it because we know what an amazing job Rob Baxter and everyone there has done taking them from the championship, building very solidly and, and then turning them into a real force. And it's such a rare thing for a club to be able to do that. Obviously with Tony Rose backing and strong support, but it's a very, very difficult thing that they've done. And they're clearly at a point where there's a, a group of players who've grown up together and this is their last season together. And everyone knows why and there's no real issue with any reason why anyone's leaving. It's all very legitimate and that's kind of, you know, a passing of time, isn't it, in a natural cycle. But it doesn't detract from the fact that in the summer, obviously, it's a it's a massive uh, changeover and, a, and everything sort of starts again in a new cycle for them. So this is their opportunity to put a final stamp on what this group of players in a full era, frankly, have, have achieved. And obviously, they want that to finish as strongly as possible. And clearly, at the moment, they're just outside the picture of the top four and they you know, in the league and they they can clearly get back into that, but it hasn't gone the way they would have wanted it to. But just to have that result, to pull that off and in those circumstances, off the back of that and the feel-good factor that comes with it, then, you know, know, they'll all be bouncing. Yeah, and I I was, um, I'm not going to say, like, it was, I was interested to see Rob Baxter's reaction as well after the Bath game that they lost in the league because I don't think I have ever seen him that angry ever. And I asked Stuart Hogg about it yesterday and I was like, oh, you know, what was he like uh, behind closed doors? Had he got over it by Monday? And he was like, he hadn't got over it by Wednesday. So um, so hopefully, I'm sure Rob Baxter will be far happier um, after their win at the weekend. Okay, let's select our Players of the Week then, shall we? Player of the Week with QBE Business Insurance. Be prepared. Lol, who stood out for you over the weekend? 
Well, we, we talked about it at the top of the show, looking at the women's Six Nations. Abby Dow deserves a special... I mean, the whole England team deserve a mention, but Abby Dow in particular who scored four tries. This is a lady, for those listeners who don't know, uh, broke her leg before the World Cup, was written off. She had, she recovered in time to play a big part in that tournament. And then, obviously, the issues that Wasps had off the field, you know, going bankrupt, going under. She had to find a new club, so she settled into a new club. And I think just... To come out and score four tries in that manner. So she deserves a, a special mention. And I think I'm I'm gonna go with Thibaut Flamand, really, from 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 my perspective, as a player who's emerged on the scene. We've known about him for some time. Um he's you know, he's a kind of a, a university player who suddenly, you know, decided actually to take up professional rugby and played in various clubs uh, around the globe. But his performances this season for France and Toulouse, I mean, to be in the second row in Toulouse takes some doing anyway, because there's some serious uh, cavalry there. So I think for him, he's my standout player. I don't think the second rows get enough mentions uh, on this pod, um, unless Ben Kay's on. So uh, <laughs> we, shall, we, shall, uh, we shall say Timo Flamont. Okay, what about you, Nick? I think I'll pick Ben Earl. I think he was um, excellent again yesterday. I mean, as we said before, special mentions the Ospreys were, were brilliant, especially for you know for that first hour and and at the breakdown they were they caused Saracens all sorts of problems all day. But I think England are looking for something different in their back row, dynamism and and somebody who can you know get onto the ball and cut powerful strong lines of pace and, and make ground. And obviously, we talked a lot about Tom Pearson recently. London Irish, but Benel's in a similar kind of mould, and and it's something I think that England are lacking in their team at the moment. And Benel's been around the fringes, and I think if Steve Borthwick is going to pick on form from the Premiership and from the clubs, as he says that he wants to do, then I think at some point Benel has to have an opportunity in a big game for England because I think he has well and truly deserved it. I was going to go Benel actually. Now you've said Benel, I'm going to go. I went as I'm going to go someone else. Um, <laughs> okay, I'm going to go Jasper Visa then, just because the way he came on in that second half for Tigers and he completely turned the game around for him really didn't they um, so I'm going to go him just because you nicked my Ben Earl sorry, sorry. <laughs> that's alright <laughs> okay so should we move on to next weekend then it's uh, the European Champions Cup quarterfinals should we make a few predictions on the results uh, who wants to go first I'll go to Lawrence first then with Leicester they take a trip to the Aviva Stadium to face Leinster a commentator's nightmare lol Leicester Leinster um, who's <laughs> taking that one for you well, it's a um, it's a familiar fixture. They played each other in in the knockout stages last year, but it was at Welford Road, and Leinster went over there and beat them fairly comfortably. Leicester have had an amazing story since they went on to win the title, as we know, under Steve Borthwick, uh, and then they effectively had their coaching group pretty much ripped out. Steve Borthwick and Kevin Simfield and a number of other coaches going away. S and C and Richard Wigglesworth has done a brilliant job in steadying the ship. They had a, a, a few tough results, but they've really come to the fore and they're playing some decent rugby and with uh, Henri Pollard pulling the strings, looking fit. They won't be a pushover, but I can't really see them having enough just yet to go to one of the hardest places to win at the moment, as everyone knows, to the number one side in the world, Leinster, and beat them. So I do see that being a home win. Um, I think Leicester will give them a slightly better game than Ulster did because they're a more physical side, but it's a contrast in styles, isn't it? I'm not sure Leicester can play too expansively yet, whereas Leinster have got the ability to take Leicester on at set piece and source, but also, you know, their back three score some amazing tries. So Leinster for the semi-finals for me. Okay. Uh, Toulouse, we'll see the Sharks roll into town. Nick, can you 
you see the Sharks pulling off a, a shock win on French soil? I think it'll be closer, yeah, but I, f- I feel like Toulouse will just about pull that out of the bag. I think Norris touched on Thibault for a moment, but if you think of all the quality players they've got, you know, especially Dupont, who just seems to just be consistently excellent and, and is capable of anything and everything. And, and I think that, that that kind of axis there will probably prove the difference. Yeah, I think Toulouse will just about have enough there. Yeah, but they did look, the Sharks looked powerful against Munster. They looked like strong in the carry, physical. Yeah, and they've got so many Springbok stars there as well. So I don't know. They're a big success, aren't they? And you're talking about the, you know, the, the, the addition of the of the South African teams. But, you know, the, obviously the Sharks were in trouble sort of financially and then the new ownership have come in and, and really turned things around and really rejuvenated uh, their setup. But also, you know, that's had a, a knock-on effect for the whole of uh, South African rugby hasn't it? And uh, it just shows again, you know, what kind of power and depth they have. Yeah. So that, that's going to be an amazing game. Yeah, it'll be a good one. That Saracens head over to La Rochelle to face the current champions. Lawrence, that is going to be a mammoth battle. That is going to be some game to watch. Yeah, it is. And and both of these sides come into it having had a real scare. You know, Saracens at home uh, for certainly the first half were well beaten by the Ospreys. But they obviously got that try just before half time. Had a, a bit of a, a board meeting with themselves in the uh, in the dressing room, and they came out a, a completely different side in the second half. And similarly, La Rochelle, by the skin of their teeth, by a couple of decisions and a try in the last minute, they go through. So, interestingly, from a mindset perspective, when you come off the back of a of a narrow win, but you know you were lucky to win it, it changes your mind completely of going into what is you know a winner take all tough place for Saris to go. I still think with Saracens that they're playing within themselves at the moment. Why do you think that is? Well, I don't know. I'm not quite sure because they, they went through this period last year where they were they were t- ticking along nicely. You know, Owen Farrell came back from injury in February and then they went all the way to the final and then they lost it. And I think that, you know, we have to remember that this is now a knockout game of rugby. So that this is not the time to be playing within yourself. This is the time to really come out there. And, and if they play anywhere near their level, then they're going to cause La Rochelle serious problems. But uh, it's a fixture that's worthy of being the final itself, really. And if Saracens are to, to move forward in this competition again, they've got this incredible history, as have La Rochelle. They're going to have to do it the hard way. So if I was to tip one away performance that, that well, you know, there's the statistically that one of these four games will be won by the away side, I would say that it could be Saracens. I think that um, defeat in the Premiership final last season has left a bit of a dent on on Saracens. And I think Mark McCall was talking about one of the reasons is because they just didn't feel like they played as themselves. I mean, it would be very unfair to say they froze, but they didn't go into it and do their thing, do the natural Saracens thing. And uh, and I think that's the thing that has left a massive frustration. But on the back of that, they went away and they've expanded their game. So I guess they're probably trying to find their balance still. And so maybe that's, that's part of it. But when they do get into their flow, they in, in the way they've expanded their game, it's been brilliant. So it's been good to see. It's a really interesting fixture for lots of reasons. Playing away from home is what all these players will have to do in the World Cup. And for me... You look at the quality. I mean, I, I, without the rest of the squad, you know, Jamie George, Itoji, Billy Vunapola, Mako Vunapola, Owen Farrell. You know, these are all players that should and could be playing for England in the World Cup. Now, if you go over to La Rochelle, there's one or two that, are, that have fallen out of the squad, like Billy. But if you make, if you put in a performance against La Rochelle, Steve Borthwick has to, has to sit up and take notice. So for, for some of them, it, it's almost a uh, an England trial, really. And you take that forward and, and you... You beat them, knock the holders out in their own backyard, 
And that says everything yeah, about you. Not as a to player. sound like a cliche, but it'll certainly be test match intensity, won't it, out, out there at the weekend. Um, and Exeter, welcome the Stormers to Sandy Park. Um, I think that's going to be a really interesting tie as well, actually. Um, the reigning URC champions, of course. And I think it'll be interesting because it'll be interesting to see how Exeter react from the victory this weekend. Like, because like we were saying, it does feel like it did then feel like something clicked on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, it, it can go one of two ways, can't it? Because it either gives them loads of momentum and then they come out firing again and they they stop overthinking things and just do what they know they can do. Or, you know, potentially the extra time and, and everything that went with it and the emotion takes a bit too much out of them and they can't go again. But um, I think because they're at home, it feels like the former will be what happens. Whether that means they go on and win the game or not is, you know, I feel like it's one of those games... I suppose they all are, aren't they? You probably have a situation where on 60 minutes it can go either way and then it's who holds their nerve at the death, really. I wouldn't be betting against them after what they've been through at the weekend. No, absolutely. I mean, if I, if I was a uh, if I was a, an analyst, which I'm not, but if I was, the way that the breakdown is refereed in, in England every week is fairly different to the way that it's refereed at test and European level. And now if you look at Saracen's issues yesterday, they were second best at the breakdown to Ospreys. Harlequins were smashed off the ball by the DHL Storm so if I'm Exeter, I'm thinking we need to get the breakdown area right. If we get the breakdown area right, then I think we've got enough in our armory to uh, to cause them uh, real problems. But English clubs particularly, and this was a little bit the same when, when I played as well, it, it is refereed very, very differently by European referees. And we have to accept that. And therefore, that's the area that I, if I was Rob Baxter and the coaching team, that is the area that they need to focus on. Should we have to accept that? Shouldn't the game be refereed the same? No. No, okay. It's, I mean, it's just, it's just the way it is. I mean, listen, if illegal tackles are illegal tackles, you know, red cards should be red cards. But the breakdown is such a grey area. But it's also an area where most of the penalties and most of the big battles are won. And and I just think for English clubs, you know, it seems to be whoever takes the ball in seems to get the ball back. Whereas in Europe, that is absolutely not the case. So. Uh, yeah, that's the area that Rob Baxter will be focused on. If they get that right, I think they can win. Okay, so what I'm reading between the lines is, are you both saying Leinster? Yep. Yes. Yeah, Toulouse? Yes. Mm-hmm. What are we saying for that Saris La Rochelle one, gents? Because it was all a bit <laughs> sitting on the wall for me. <laughs> well, well, if we, I mean, I'll, I'll go one way all and right. Nick can go the other. How about that? I'm I'm going to go Saris. So you're telling, you're telling Nick to go La Rochelle, basically. <laughs> that's right, yeah. I've got. <laughs> and, then, yeah, and, then, yeah. and then he gets the choice for the, for the last game then. That's right. I'm a, you know, I just Don't argue you can't, with Lowell, who wants that? to bet against Ronan Ren, <laughs> yeah. Nagara? He's uh, you know the, the great yeah. man himself. <laughs> they better they better win, Saracen. And that last one, Exeter Stormers. Nick, your choice. Yeah, I think Exeter. I think you've got to back them, haven't you? And I think in, just in in everything that they've they've been through and off the back of what happened with the Bath game and then the response, it, it feels like the significance of where they're at in their journey. Terrible word, but you know what I'm saying. It, I think that's everything's clicked in. So yeah, I think they will win. Yeah. Well, we'll have to see about those predictions, won't we, when we return next week. But that's it for this episode. My thanks to Sarah. It's great to have you back. And of course, to the Evening Standards, Nick Puriwell. Thank you for listening uh, and we'll see you next time. The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. 
Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.